Good morning, and welcome to church, uh, wherever you are. I'm here in the uh, Dunbar Heights building, along with uh, two other people, my wife, Karen, and uh, Pastor Wes. And uh, so I'm going to preach to them uh, in the understanding that there's a whole lot more out of you out there somewhere uh, whenever you're dialing this up and uh, sitting down to, to listen to what God might have to say to us through his word. It's good to be, to be back with you in this way. We look forward to the day when we can be together in person again. Uh, from what I was reading this morning from our health authorities, it might be a little while yet. Uh, they were talking this morning about perhaps another two months. I'm not sure, but, uh, but we'll stay faithful. And uh, yeah, the church as a community of believers is uh, certainly enhanced by the time that we spend together face-to-face. But as we've learned this last year, we're still able to maintain our, uh, our fellowship and our commitment to one another despite these things. I also want to congratulate our new pastor, Dave Little. And I'm looking forward to meeting you, Dave, personally, uh, face-to-face when that opportunity comes. But congratulations on uh, the positive vote. And we're looking forward to seeing what God will do through you among us in this place. Well, we are working through our series, The Gospel of Matthew. And in particular, we are focused on the section known as the Beatitudes, which is that kind of opening song or opening poem, you might say, that that Jesus expressed as part of his Sermon on the Mount. And so it's found in Matthew chapter 5. There were a great crowd of people who had been following Jesus along, and uh, by great crowds, I I mean, we're talking thousands of people, probably several thousand people. Uh, Imagine like a stadium full of people gathered on the side of this mountain, and uh, Jesus hadn't uh, prepared or particularly planned for this, I don't believe, Uh, but the opportunity came, the crowd was present, and so he sat down to speak to them. Matthew chapter 5, we'll read the whole section again, but our focus this morning is going to be on the final beatitude, uh, verse 10 and verse 11. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. As we learned last week, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted 
for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Lord, we ask this morning, as we ask every Sunday, that you would, you would come to us by your Holy Spirit and empower your word such that we would hear your voice, not just the voice of this human preacher, but that we would hear what you have to say through this text and through your spirit, that we might be better tuned to know how to live and for whom we live and why we live and what it means for um, the lives that you've given us to live here in this place. So speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. We, we will listen and do our best to respond to what it is that you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. A little counterintuitive, a little strange expression to think that we might be able to experience something like persecution as a kind of blessing. But persecution for the gospel is preparation for the kingdom. That's the message of our passage here this morning. Persecution for the gospel is preparation for the kingdom. It was just over four years ago now, I was in at, at, at an academic conference down in Texas. Just uh, it was about three weeks prior to the U.S. presidential election. And at this conference, one of the speakers uh, that was given a platform was a man you may have heard of. His name was Robert Jeffress. He was uh, a uh, megachurch pastor, is a megachurch pastor down there, a prominent Fox News contributor. And I was called by some of my colleagues to confront him in terms of some of the things he was saying at that event. His suggestion was that if Christians didn't vote for and get behind Donald Trump, then uh, we could experience uh, persecution to an unimaginable degree. Persecution not seen since the, the days of the early church if we didn't get behind this political candidate and vote for him. Egged on by my colleagues, I, I stood up and suggested to him that persecution avoidance was never the first calling of the Christian church. I know that I'm on dangerous ground here with this passage. <laughs> uh, whenever we talk about persecution, particularly in this point in time in, in Christian history, particularly in North America, because even the subject of persecution has become politicized. And so there's quite likely that I might say some things here today that um, <laughs> strike you as uh, 
off-putting or hard or contrary to some of the things that maybe you have thought that's possible. I tell my students that whenever we open the word of God and try to communicate it to other people, we depend upon the grace of God. But we also depend upon the grace of those who listen. And so I would ask that grace of you this morning. Because as I think about this subject of persecution and, and as I hear these calls from people like Pastor Jeffress and many others who are suggesting to us that we are in a dangerous moment at this point in the life of the church and we have to take action, political action, other kinds of action in order to avoid that kind of persecution for the sake of the church, for the sake of the gospel. I'm, I'm a little concerned, quite frankly. I'll tell you, uh, as I experience life, maybe it's because we're here in Canada and, uh, or because I am Canadian, maybe it's something in my personal wiring, but I have not sensed the same level of threat as some of my uh, friends and colleagues are suggesting uh, might be the case. I mean, we live in this relatively tolerant Christian, uh, sorry, this relatively tolerant Canadian culture uh, where the thought of persecution of others is abhorrent to people. Now, as Christians, we have things that we could point to. Uh, Trinity Western University, for example, uh, was prohibited from opening a law school. And, uh, you know, as somebody who's spent the last 25 years on the Trinity Western campus, that was something of great concern to me and a very significant issue in our culture. But somehow, I think that issue might have been a little different than the kind of stuff that Jesus is talking about in our text here. I mean, that issue for Trinity Western, as serious as it was, went to, was, was deeply debated at the highest courts of our land, the Supreme Court of Canada. And the reason that the university was disallowed from this action was out of concern for other people's values and interests. And, and, and this was kind of like a, contra a contrast of, of values. And out of uh, a desire to protect people and to be tolerant, the courts decided to take this particular action. But I can tell you, Trinity Western is alive and well. Enrollment is strong. <laughs> the teaching is still happening. The gospel is still being taught at, at Trinity Western University in many ways, in many places. Uh, uh, people are being discipled there and growing in their faith. It strikes me that's a little different than the kind of persecution being described here in the Bible. I, I, yes, there was a, a pastor a few weeks ago in Edmonton who was put in jail for defying uh, health orders as it relates to the pandemic. But again, <laughs> that's something that, uh, that many of us who, who, uh, who love Jesus and are trying to be faithful to the gospel uh, would disagree with him about. I mean, here we are scattered together, as we've been saying, continuing in the ministry of our church. We're not viewing this as persecution. Yes, we're disappointed that we can't be together this morning. Yes, we long for the day when we could be physically present to one another. But as a church, we have chosen to see this as an opportunity to express Christian charity to others, to our community, to support the health and well-being of our brothers and sisters and members of our, of our larger community 
by, by acting safely. So I have a hard time seeing some of these things as persecution in the same manner as described in the scriptures. The, the, the text here that Jesus offered us uh, mentions uh, the persecution of the prophets, for example. I think back to 1 Kings 17, uh, the prophet Elijah in the time of Obadiah and uh, King Ahab and Jezebel, uh, a time when the prophets were deeply persecuted for their uh, faithfulness to God. We're talking about true abuse. We're talking about being beaten, sent into exile, uh, and, and at great personal and political cost. This is the kind of thing that the text is describing. Abuse, uh, deep, profound bullying, uh, being forced to, be, uh, to feel shame on a deep personal level because of our interest in staying faithful to and naming the name of Christ in our lives. Well, whether we're experiencing that today, the day could come. And perhaps it has come for some of us, especially some of us who have come to Canada from other places in the world. Persecution is real. If it wasn't real, it wouldn't be described here by Jesus in this text. And so we have to take it seriously. But, and this is the key thing I want to say. Uh, whether in its more dramatic and wild forms or, or, or it's the tamer kinds of forms, perhaps, that we might experience today. Persecution is not so much something to be avoided as it is to be received as blessing. That's the inference of Jesus' beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Persecution for the gospel is preparation for the kingdom. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, a few points I'd like to make from this whole thing. First of all, persecution can be seen as a pathway to blessing. Persecution is a pathway to blessing. I think this is in keeping with the entire Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is offering here as you read through chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. I've said this to you before, but I think the key to understanding the Sermon on the Mount is to uh, notice that little phrase in, in chapter 6 at the beginning of Jesus' model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? How? On earth as it is in heaven. And so I think that's the key to understanding this whole thing. The, 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 all of this stuff is teaching us how to live the values of the kingdom in the context of this earth. And what we understand is that the kingdom of heaven is at odds in significant ways with the kingdoms of this earth. The direction of this, of this the earth, you might say, or our, our human constructs and ways of being in the world, the way we order ourselves and govern ourselves and all of that, typically those constructs are in contrast to the values and the purposes and the outcomes expected in God's kingdom in heaven. And so when we live faithfully 
according to the principles of God's kingdom in heaven, we can expect there'd be friction. We can expect, that's just normal. It's not something to complain about. It's not something to get angry about. It's not something to even kick against that hard necessarily. It's just going to happen. When we live faithfully for the sake of the kingdom, we can expect that there's going to be friction points, perhaps even to the point of this kind of persecution. But what we understand is that this persecution, these friction points, these challenges, are producing something, something beautiful, something wonderful, something eternal, that being God's kingdom. It's a, and, and, and the blessing that we will know forever, for eternity, in God's kingdom is, is the blessing that we start to receive now, uh, even as we experience this, those points of conflict with our world. It's a pathway to blessing. I think uh, in some ways this final beatitude in this list of, of however many there are, this final beatitude can almost be seen as summative of the entire list. When you think about the lacking and the losing, the hungering and the thirsting, such that all of the poor in spirit, the powerless, the persecuted, come to understand and appreciate that Jesus really meant it when he said that the last shall be first. It's a pathway to blessing. The second point I want to make is we're talking about a particular kind of persecution here. It's just not any persecution. Uh, What I was speaking to earlier, this is persecution on, 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 how did you say it? Persecution for righteousness' sake. You know, this isn't, Jesus isn't talking about uh, negative outcomes just because we've been jerks, for lack of a better word. <laughs> we've been unkind, or, or we've been overly assertive, or we've, you know, because we felt like, like we've been poorly treated, and so we pushed back. You know, this isn't the kind of thing where entitled people grasping to retain their sense of privilege are, are experiencing a negative outcome. That, that's not what we're talking about here. This is a particular kind of persecution. This is persecution for righteousness sake. This is persecution when people utter all kinds of evil against us falsely, Jesus said, on my account. This is when we are persecuted because we have lived and acted and spoken and pursued the same expressions, the same values, the same approach to life as Jesus himself. It's a very particular form of persecution. It's not something we seek. It's not something we we aim for. It's not something we search out. But as we live righteously, 
as we live faithfully in the manner of our Lord Jesus, when that results in a negative outcome for us, in that case, we can consider it blessing or a path to blessing as the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. And so, the third point, we rejoice in it. We rejoice in it. We don't fight it. We don't even have to fear it. We can find joy in it. I mean, it's not because we're masochists, you know, hungry for the pain. Oh, hit me again. No, it's nothing like that. It's because we can anticipate and appreciate what that pain is producing in terms of God's eternal kingdom. When we are persecuted on account of Jesus, because we've been faithful to him, and we experience that negative outcome, we can find joy in it, as strange as that sounds, as counterintuitive as it may be. By the way, that's one of the things I really love about the Gospels and about the gospel itself. I, I, just the counterintuitive nature of it. <laughs> the, the fact that so often we, we encounter these concepts and the uh, ideas that are just different. And, and I ask myself sometimes, like, like who would have thought of this? <laughs> you know? Not me. But there's a beauty in it. And there's a cause for rejoicing. It is challenging, of course. Of course, you know, it, I, I think it actually, it's, it's kind of an indictment on a culture when people who are just trying to live righteously are made to suffer oppression or, or opposition. It's not a good thing. Now, Christians were called to live above reproach. So, by the way, that right there is, is a pretty good indicator, you know, like a little checkpoint when we're experiencing that kind of opposition. Are we living like Jesus in that moment, truly? Are we living a life that is above reproach? If we are, and others experience our righteousness as a point of conviction because they have chosen to continue to live in sin or in darkness. Well, ultimately, the judgment's going to be on them. Even though for a period of time, we might have to experience that as suffering. Now, that shouldn't surprise us. Because that happened even to Jesus. Right? I mean... Uh, second Timothy uh, 3.13. Everyone who lives a godly, wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's going to happen. Right? Because it happened to Jesus too. One of my favorite passages is in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. You want to know what you're called to if you're in Christ? To this you are called. 1 Peter 2.21. For this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. 
When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued, continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. And in so doing, verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness and be healed by his wounds. It's a powerful thing. But notice, Jesus suffered. He was reviled. He was threatened. He was persecuted. And he didn't deserve it. No sin, no deceit, no threatening. (laughs) All he did was he entrusted himself in those moments to him who judges justly. That'd be his father in heaven. And that's the thing, right? When we experience this kind of persecution, you don't fight back. You don't go blow for blow, insult for insult. You don't try to, you know, rally politically (laughs) or, or force anything. You just... Do what Jesus did. Entrust yourself to the ultimate judgment of the God whose kingdom is in heaven and pray that that kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus entrusted himself to the same grace that by that act he offers to every one of us who follows in his steps. That's awesome. (laughs) That is so awesome. To this we are called. To live the faithful life of a kingdom citizen and pay whatever price and trust that there is one who judges justly and that one day this will come back to us as blessing. Lord, we're hungry for that. We thirst for that. Lord, we we give ourselves to that, to you, to your care. We trust that you, by your grace, will judge justly and graciously, truthfully. And by that grace, we stand. You know, in my life, I I, I can't really think of... really hardly any events where I could truly say that I have been significantly uh, persecuted for the sake of the gospel. Not yet, anyway. I mean, not in the manner of like a Yorgi Veens or a Harlan Popoff. You probably don't know those names. <laughs> Maybe you do. I, those are names I heard about when I was a kid in church. I think, uh, well, I recall both of them came to speak at evening services at the church I grew up in. And these were men who had been truly and deeply persecuted in communist Russia for um, just trying to preach the gospel and to organize a church. Uh, I've never experienced anything like that. The worst worst thing I can remember was uh, one time in high school, I was trying to be more overt, you know, in this public high school uh, about my faith. And, and so I wore this button that had some expression of faith on it. And uh, I remember one day, you know, I, for me, you know, as a 16-year-old, that was a pretty big deal, walking the hallways of my school with that 
but none. I was very self-conscious of it. And, and one day, the biggest, toughest guy in the school uh, walked up to me and pointed at the button and said, so, you're a Christian? And I gulped and said, yes. And he looked at me, stared me down, and he goes, huh. And then he walked away. And that was the last I ever saw him. I spoke to the guy. <laughs> That was, that, that, that's probably the worst moment of persecution I've ever had. But, you know, I recognize that, uh, especially if, if some of you I know come from other places in the world, maybe you have experienced true persecution in your life. I know it happens. And Jesus described this in, in, in the text. It, it could happen yet here in this place at some day in the future. You know, if Robert Jeffress is right, and significant persecution is coming to the Christian church in North America, I will say this, it won't be because of our politics. It will be, if it comes, when it comes, it will be because of the scandal of the gospel itself. It will be when and if it comes because people have decided to hold the person of Jesus in contempt and because they have seen his likeness in us. Would that we might be like the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 who declared that he wanted to know Christ. to know Christ to the degree that he might share in his sufferings. That he might know the power of the resurrection from the dead. If you're with me here this morning, I know you'd say amen. Be it so, Lord Jesus, that we might know you and trust you no matter the cost. All the poor and the powerless, all the, those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are we in Christ. Blessed are all of us who are receiving an everlasting kingdom in the presence of the Lord who loves us, who will forgive us, be gracious to us, who will heal us, and in whom we find our hope. Be it so, Lord. Be it so. Encourage us by these words. Encourage us as we perhaps do and will experience true opposition simply because we've tried to be faithful. Lord, should that day come, give us strength. In the meantime, Lord, in these relatively tolerant days, teach us how to be faithful and how to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name.
Amen.